So I'm excited this morning to introduce to you Jess Shepard. She's going to be sharing. Yay! I just, just love this gal. She's been... Were you just... Was your mom just fist pumping for you? That was awesome. <laughs> she kind of, she just brought her fan club this morning. No, we are, we're all, we love her. Well, Jess has been with, how long have you, how many years have you been coming? Five years. Five. And I got to meet Jess through the Young Moms Study when she first started coming to that and just been getting to know her through the years in Bible study. Beautiful heart, great lover of Jesus, passionate about his word and um, walking in the spirit and um, just a, a, a woman whose life has, well, you're going to hear from her today, some, yeah. some of her testimony, but um, truly touched by Jesus, but not just touched by Jesus and, and okay, I'm sitting here, my life was touched by Jesus, but touched by Jesus and then now she's a, a vessel for that work. So I know Carrie's excited to hear her too. So please welcome Jess. Thank you. Good morning. So I've been praying a lot this week about um, just you ladies and what you and I need to hear and what we saw in our women this week. And um, I just want to let you know that the Lord has just given me such a heart of love for each and every single one of you. Um, because that's what we need, and that's what I received from him, and that's what I've always received coming into these rooms. And so um, if you're new in this group or you're not quite connected, just know that you are loved by the king, and you're loved by the women in leadership, and you're loved by the women in your group. Um, okay, so we're talking God stories this week, and... Um, we have some incredible God stories that we saw of the woman caught in adultery, the um, woman with 12 years of issue of blood, a hemorrhage, and um, the woman, who, the Syrophoenician whose uh, daughter was demon-possessed. Uh, so when Denise asked me to teach, she asked me to include some of my stories. I, uh, I laughed at her right over the phone, by the way, because I'm really kind of that kind of awkward person. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so we're going to look at our passages, and then I'm just going to share uh, some personal stuff that I've been able to experience with our Lord. Um, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That was Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. And he also says, I am the light of the world. She who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's John eight twelve. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that... Um, that you see us and you know us. You knew us before you formed the foundations of the earth. You have loved us with an everlasting love. And you have called us to this place this morning. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit fall upon this room. And that you be our teacher. That you be our guide. And that we just respond to you. To your love and your grace and your mercy. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so... In women's ministry, we're traveling through God's word with a specific goal. We are investigating 
and searching for certain information. We're getting in close and personal with the lives of women that we see in scripture. So we're finding out who are they, what happened to them, what was their character like, what were their circumstances, what are their needs and their weaknesses and their strengths. Um, But then we turn it to ourselves. What do, do I relate to them in some way? How would I handle similar situations? What are my weaknesses and needs and strengths? But that's not where we stop. We have an end goal. And our target is, what did God do? Uh, What attributes do we see of the Lord? How did he come into this woman's life? How has he come into my life and touched my heart and circumstances in only ways that he can? Um. Like I said, we've met some really, we met some desperate women, and each of them had a need that only Jesus could meet. And so do we. Do we have needs this morning, right now? I do. I do. <laughs> like, right this second. Um, but also, <laughs> in my marriage, in parenting, in homeschooling, in relationships with people, in my thought life, I need him all the time. And what about you guys, you gals? Do you need him in your parenting, in your grandparenting, in your marriage? Maybe it's something serious. I know some struggle with serious illnesses, a hard marriage wayward children that aren't walking with the Lord? Endless nights waking up three, four times a night to feed, rock, and diaper your beautiful little baby? We need Jesus for that. I have a seven-year-old who knows everything, so I need Jesus for that. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's a hard relationship with a friend or a family member, someone you don't quite get along with, but Jesus has called you to love that person, or anxiety, or depression. I can keep going, but I think you guys get the idea. Um, So this morning, um, I chose two of our gals from our study to look at, the woman caught in adultery and the woman with a demon-possessed daughter. Uh, We learn from these gals that Jesus sees our needs, that he hears our prayers, and he is the solution for all our problems. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. That was our memory verse this week. So don't cast away your confidence in our almighty God. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Pray for his spirit to give you endurance, so that you can do the will of God and receive his promises. All right, so open to John 8, please. So I want you to take a second as you're getting there just to picture the scene um, that we read about this week. It's really early in the morning. And John 7-2 reveals that it's the Feast of Tabernacles and there are crowds of people in Jerusalem. Jesus is at the temple teaching and a group of Pharisees interrupt by dragging in a woman. 
Likely, she is in some kind of undress, and certainly she is disheveled. She's terrified, shaking, humiliated. Tears are running down her face, and she's being held onto by a man on each arm, and they thrust her forward. Verse 4, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? What a moment. Her heart must have been pounding out of her chest, her stomach in knots, and cold sweat on her forehead. What would the teacher say? Is she going to die right here in disgrace and shame? Was she silently praying to Jehovah? God, forgive me. Lord God, I am not worthy of you. Have mercy on me. What she probably didn't realize is that that moment she was facing the Lord God himself. The Savior sent into the world to die for us while we were yet sinners. So Jesus sees us. He knows us. Any sin we secretly commit, he knows them all together. And still he says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's in Isaiah. So can I encourage you ladies, if you're harboring any secret sin this morning, can I just say, God sees it. He already knows it. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be something as obvious and as what we would label as really, really bad as adultery. It could be bitterness, anger, gossip, selfishness. He sees all that and he wants to heal us from that too. He wants us to confess, to repent and be healed. That's his heart towards us. And we'll see, see that displayed so beautifully in Jesus. So in verse 6, they said that this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted in their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. So there she is, standing before the Savior, trembling, naked, ashamed. But what just happened? He didn't throw stones. He didn't accuse her. He didn't shame her. What did Jesus say? Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the moment that she gets it. She knows who she's facing. She sees who Jesus is. When she answered, no one, Lord, the word she used for Lord literally means Messiah, Savior. Jesus stood between her and the Pharisees. He stood between her and the stones about to be thrown at her. And later, 
he would be beaten, whipped, mocked, and hung on a criminal's cross to stand between her and the just penalty for her sins. And he's done that for all of us. He has borne our iniquities in himself. Okay, so I relate to this woman. I see her and I see myself. I grew up in a Christian home, going to church and youth group and Christian summer camps. I even sang in a youth choir. Um, This woman certainly must have grown up being taught at the temple, being, being brought to the temple and taught about who the Lord is. But somewhere in her life, she began to go down a road that brought her away from God and down a path of sin. At a young age, I struggled with self-worth and self-image. I was lacking a very important truth that Jesus died for me personally and that he loves me. I knew I needed to behave a certain way because I'm a Christian and I go to church, but I didn't, I didn't get it. I really didn't. I had a lot of knowledge about God and about the Bible, but I didn't have a real relationship with him. I began a pattern of self-harm that lasted many years and took many forms. I started with self-mutilation. I would cut my arms, and that would soothe my inner turmoil. Then, after I got married at 18 and divorced by the age of 19, I discovered alcohol and drugs. I abused my body and my soul. The Lord, in his great mercy, allowed me to spiral out. He allowed me to go through this because he had a plan for my life. He has a plan for everyone's life right here, right now. So shortly after my dad passed away, I was about 20, I was 23. I got a DUI and spent a night in jail. Eight months later, my life was in total shambles and I was unable to do anything without consuming alcohol. Then I got sober. So I began to live life without alcohol, but I still carried guilt and shame and sin. I was far from God. In 2009, I met my now husband. We dated for about three months and I got pregnant. (laughs) There it is. I had started to feel a tug on my heart from the Lord by this time. And I began to go to church again with my mom. But I still didn't feel right in my soul. I was depressed, I was lonely, I was guilty, and I was ashamed. I could hear the litany of my sins repeated in my mind constantly. In 2013, the Lord led me here to Calvary Vista. I spent the first two months sitting in the back rows over there, crying every single service that I came. Um, My husband thought I was insane or going insane, and maybe I was a little bit. But God had a plan in this. He always has a plan. Sometime in late December, I had my moment with Jesus, like the woman caught in adultery. My guilt and my shame and my sin of rejecting Christ was too much. It was destroying my soul. And all the while, Jesus orchestrated my path to bring me to the exact spot that I needed to be. So we got to church a little late that morning and checked our daughter into Sunday school. And by the time we made it into the sanctuary, 
all those back row seats were filled. So I had to sit third row from the front. So if you're a back row girl, I see some of you come early on Sundays because those fill up. (laughs) Um, I don't remember exactly all the words that was preached that morning, but I remember that Pastor Rob was talking about mercy and the grace that Jesus offers through the forgiveness of our sins and that we need to repent before him and ask him to cleanse and forgive us. My heart was racing. Every word was literally just for me. But there was a battle being waged inside of me, like the woman with the men accusing her. My flesh and the enemy were screaming out all of my sins, accusing me and trying to convince me that I was not worthy for this God, for this Savior. But God knew exactly what I needed to hear. Pastor Rob gave an altar call, and he was listing circumstances and issues that were possibly keeping people from accepting God's grace and redemption. Example after example was describing me And, but then the Holy Spirit used something to push me over, to tell me clearly that God sees all, he knows all, and still he offers his love to a wretched sinner like me. It was a word that I would not use, and it was a topic I avoided with all cost, a secret sin that I kept from everyone. Pastor Rob said, Maybe it's abortion. Maybe you did that. God still loves you. He wants to forgive you and heal you. Your baby is with Jesus right now. Come, come to the altar. Everything stopped. So I stood to my feet. I couldn't help it. It was just me and Jesus. And I walked right up here. I came forward and fell on my knees, my soul naked and exposed before the king. And he loved me, and he forgave me, and he paid my debt. Jesus reached into my heart and pulled out the one thing I didn't want him to. The one thing that was keeping me from him. He exposed it, and he healed it. He took this wretched sinner, cleansed her with his blood, and sealed her with his Holy Spirit. So my walk with the Lord since then has had ups and downs. I have learned a lot of things, and many of them the hard way. But who better to teach me than my Creator? He is gentle. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Okay, So now turn to Mark chapter 7. (laughs) Okay. We're going to start at verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. And she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. 
So we find Jesus in the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem, right on the coast of the, of the Mediterranean Sea. These are prosperous port towns that are greatly prized by the Roman government for trade purposes. So while this is still a part of the nation of Israel, it is a heavily mixed area with Greeks, Romans, Jews, and likely many other nationalities living in the area. This Syrophoenician woman, unlike the other gals we looked at, is Greek. She's a Gentile. She was born in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and she likely grew up worshiping Roman and Greek gods. Maybe she had personal idols in her home. Maybe she had begun to teach her young daughter to do the same thing. We don't really know for sure. But what we do know is that this young girl is possessed by an evil spirit and her mother is desperate to help her. So I like to picture things. So let's picture in our mind again. Let's dig and ask ourselves questions. How long was this girl suffering? How long had the mother been searching for answers? Did she bring her to the Roman temples only to find that they could do nothing? How many nights did this mom lay awake or pace the floors anxious for her little girl? News spread about Jesus quickly throughout Israel, and many flocked to see him, to hear him teach, and to be healed by him. In Mark 3, 8, and in Luke 17, we see that people from Tyre and Sidon traveled to see Jesus. It is probably a safe assumption that they shared their testimonies with those back home. So somewhere along the way, this Syrophoenician woman heard about Jesus. She learned what he had done for people, and Jesus became her solution. And that's important for us to remember that our testimony of what Jesus has done affects others. It affected this woman. How long did she know about Jesus before he arrived in her area? We don't know. But she is fully prepared for him by the time he does arrive. In the Gospel of Matthew, we get some further insight. Chapter 15, verse 22 says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She knows full well who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. Whatever her past beliefs and practices, her future is with Jesus. He had become her Messiah, and she was putting all of her trust in him. So now I want to back up a little bit. So she hears the news that Jesus is in the city. Where is he? Verse 24 says that Jesus entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But this mama was on a mission. She She was going to find her savior. And don't you think that God had a mission in this too? Specifically mapped out for this woman and this time? Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So we're picturing the woman again. She's searching the city. She's going to the city gates, asking in the marketplace, have you seen Jesus? 
She's knocking on doors. She's silently praying. She's talking to people and asking for information. She's going to find him. Finally, the right house, the right door, and there he is, Jesus. She came in and fell at his feet and kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Does it ever feel like that to you? Have you been at the end of your rope? Everything is crashing down around you and it feels like heaven has shut its doors and God is not listening. That's not the end. Verse 27. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That doesn't really sound like a typical Jesus answer to me. (laughs) But let's remember a couple of things. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But his first coming was primarily to the Israelites. And that's what his statement to this woman is inferring. The children represent the nation of Israel and the little dogs or the puppies represent the Gentiles. Okay, but didn't Jesus heal other Gentiles while he was walking the earth? Yes, he did. We see in Luke 7 and John 4 that Jesus did heal and interact with Gentiles. But notice that every interaction we have with the Lord Almighty is unique and special. And it seems that our Lord rarely does things the same way. He is not a cookie cutter God. He is not a one size fit all God. He is personal, he is holy, he is sovereign, which means he's in charge. And he is interested in each one of us and our stories and our lives and our specific needs. Marianne brought this out really well last week when she was teaching about Elisha and Elijah. Both of them had nearly identical situations of bringing a dead boy to life, but there were differences. We don't know why. So without knowing why, because God's ways are not our ways, he was doing something different with this Syrophoenician woman. I really like her. What does she say in response to Jesus? Verse 28. She answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. This woman is persistent. She is not easily discouraged. And she has been doing her homework. Think about it. She's been living a nightmare for months, possibly years. She has done all that she can to help her daughter. Along the way, she learned about Jesus. But for whatever reason, probably her daughter's condition, she never traveled to go see him. Did she sit around idly? Did she become bitter and angry with God? No. She became a student of his word. Are you in a waiting period? Not sure of what God is doing? Not hearing what you expected to hear? Unable to move forward with certain plans in a long and hard trial? Do not be idle. Be a student of God's word. Fill your time with getting to know our Lord and becoming intimate with who he is and what his word says. She understood what Jesus was saying to her. She got it. 
So after finding the one she had been waiting for and begging and pleading for him to heal her daughter, Jesus responds, it's not right. I'm sent to Israel first, then you Gentiles. She's prepared. She is persistent. She knows the character and the heart of her God and is able to boldly say, yes, but even we Gentiles benefit from what the Israelites leave behind. Verse 29 and 30. And then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come, home, come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. All right, one more personal note from me. My husband is not a believer. I think I mentioned that earlier, but maybe I didn't. <laughs> I already forgot. <laughs> and he still isn't. He attended church with me and our daughter for about a year or so before he couldn't tolerate it any longer and stopped coming. In early 2015, our marriage came under heavy spiritual attack. By this time, the Lord had been working on my heart in so many beautiful and profound ways. He was digging up sins and helping me cast them away one by one. He was and continues to reshape me. He continues to reshape all of us on his potter's wheel. So as I grew closer to the Lord, my husband grew to be resentful of my faith and my beliefs and my God. The darkest and hardest nine months of our marriage happened that year. Everything I hold dear to my heart was mocked and scorned. My heart was broken repeatedly, and my faith was tested. We need to be diligent and persistent like the Syrophoenician woman. We must put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's in Ephesians 6. My resolve to follow Jesus no matter where he led me became a daily in-my-face question. Are you willing, Jess? Will you count it all joy when you face various trials for my name? The Lord was building in me a deeper faith. He was showing me that being a Christian is not something I do just at Bible study and Sunday morning worship. Choosing to follow Jesus is reading his word and doing what it says. It's having fellowship with the true and living God. It's being willing to be mocked, scorned, and rejected by everyone. Because isn't that what Jesus did for us? Following Jesus is going wherever he leads. It's loving our brothers and sisters in the faith. It's taking time to serve one another and to encourage one another. It's turning the other cheek and loving those that hate you. It's praying for the lost and those that reject God. So one night, midway through this dark time, 
I was berated with vile words about Christians, the church, and my fairy tale God. In my heart, I was crying out to God, How long? How long will this go on, Lord? Make it stop. Have mercy on me. And the Lord is so good and so merciful, and He ministered to me in a way that only He can. He brought a song to my heart and to my mind. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. He led me out of that situation and into the dark of my backyard. And I just sank to my knees and I cried out to my God and I sang to him and with both hands raised, I prayed. I prayed for my husband. I prayed for God to save him and to change him. And the Holy Spirit took over. He does that sometimes and it's really great. And he just prayed for me and through me. Many months of trial continued after that night. But by God's grace and his mercy, we do enjoy an easier marriage now. I have had the opportunity to share the gospel with five of my husband's relatives, and I've seen one saved and already home with Jesus. Yeah. My husband still isn't saved. But I will follow Jesus. I will follow him no matter where he takes me and no matter what the cost. So like the women we looked at this week, let's resolve this morning to follow Jesus, to be persistent and bold as we approach God's throne in prayer. No matter what your current circumstance, God sees it. He knows it. And he is working all things out for our benefit and his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love us with your everlasting and perfect love. Thank you for never leaving us alone in our circumstances or our darkness or our pain, but that you are always right there with us. God, I pray for these gals before me. I pray that you are working in their hearts, Lord, that if there's any woman here that needs your touch this morning, that she will boldly approach your throne, that she will boldly come to you and say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you, God. May each and every gal here feel your love and your presence. May she know that you died for her personally and that all you want is for restoration and love. We praise you, Lord God, and we give you the rest of this morning. In your holy name we pray, amen.
Jess, thank you. That was beautiful. Powerful, beautiful. I know in this room, we all, we all have God, we have a story. We have a Jesus rescued us God story. And um, it's going to be awesome when you go to your group time. I think some of you will be sharing some of that. But we did ask Josefina, come come on up, Josefina, to share um, with us this morning. And we're going to do this a few times throughout the year. Um, asking some of you to come up and um, give your testimony. I love when Jess said that. Your testimony impacts, impacts. So this is Josefina. We love her. And she's been with us and serving the Lord and has an amazing God's touched her life. I mean, we all do, aren't we? All just saved out of the pit. So um, anyways, let's hear what the Lord put on your heart to share. Hi guys. I um, I prayed all week about what to share, and um, it was actually really um, just really refreshing to me just to sit down and um, look back on my life. I've lived 
I'm 45 now. <laughs> Last week was my birthday. <laughs> but I've lived, I feel like I've lived a long life, and there's so much that I could share and so much that I could say. So it's just um, refreshing for me just to sit down and just to remember um, just different parts of my testimony. And this is, I'm just going to read it. But um, I was born in Tijuana, Mexico, one of 15 children. At the age of five, I was torn from my family and was taken to the United States and adopted. I honestly don't remember it being a traumatic event in my life, but I know that it must have been. I believe that since that time, God has been merciful and gracious and protected me. I can't imagine any of my kids being separated from me. One time, I don't remember how long I had been with my adopted family. My mother came to visit me. She showed me Polaroids of my other brothers and sisters that had been adopted by other families. I remember when it came time for her to leave, I threw a huge temper tantrum, and that was way out of character for me. I never saw my mom again until many years later when I was pregnant with my firstborn, Jordan. It was hard for me to go back and see her after Jordan was born because my love was so strong for him, I couldn't understand how she could know everything about me and then let me go. As it was, I loved Jordan's father, but because of that little baby that was growing inside of me, I walked away from him for the well-being of my child. We had been living together. Everything seemed fine at first. Daryl, Jordan's father, started using drugs. I never knew that he had a problem. When we found out I was pregnant, he wanted me to abort the baby. At that time, I was 23 years old, and I had already had three abortions. I couldn't do it again. I saw him getting worse and worse and decided that I could not raise a child like that. So when I was still pregnant, I just packed all my stuff in my car and um, all my belongings in my little blue geo, and I went back home. I was heartbroken. I was raised by a mother that always had a man. Those men always came before her role as a parent. I didn't want to be like her. My mother was not nurturing nor affectionate. She had adopted so many kids that it was impossible for her to parent the way a parent should. I think that because of the, the lack of attention, the lack of love, the lack of a father, my mom wasn't married. She adopted, she had four children, and then she adopted 34 children. And she didn't have, it was just too much for her, I think. Um, so lack of a father, lack of encouragement, a part of me was numb. As I hit my middle teens, I told my brothers and sisters that by the time I was 18, I would leave. I did not want anything to do with my mother. I didn't have any plans. I didn't know where I would go, but I was determined to go. Was it a lie that I believed from Satan to get away from my family to destroy me? Now, looking back, I say yes. Even though my adopted mother wasn't the most loving and was abusive at times, I learned a lot from her. I was raised going to church. I learned the greatest thing that I could ever know. I'm not sure that I knew I was loved by God, but I knew that I was a sinner I knew that Jesus died and rose from the dead so that I could go to heaven. 
I hadn't been taught that everything that Christ did for me was motivated by his love for me. Maybe if I had known that, I, would have taken, I wouldn't have taken the path that I did. I got pregnant, so crazy. <laughs> I got pregnant on purpose because I would be too ashamed to tell my mom that I was pregnant. I left my family and went to live with a friend of our family. I didn't tell them I was pregnant. When I told her, she took me to get an abortion. I was 18. I know it sounds stupid, but I believe the lie that that little baby was just a clump of blood. How could I have been so naive? I felt worse than before. I turned to any man that would have me. I ended up having two more abortions. I now see how the enemy of my soul was bent on my destruction. I thank God for sending a woman my way. Her name is Kathy Peckham. I was hired as her nanny to watch her three children. She and her husband took me in and made me a part of their family. She was the greatest example to me of what God's love is. She saw me crazy. She saw me sad. She didn't know why I was so out of control. I know that she prayed for me. She would always encourage me to go to church with her family. I would wake up in the mornings and I would see, so they just basically took me in. Like they didn't know me. They just, God, like I said, he just always protected me and had good things for me. But I would come home, I would wake up in the morning and see her reading her Bible. I would come home in the evenings and see her reading and listening to praise music. Her husband had given me a job at his office and at night I would go out and get drunk and go out and go to work the next morning. This woman had loved me unconditionally. I had nothing to offer her. I wouldn't even let her hug me. One time when she, while she came up in to hug me, I told her, please don't hug me. I don't like when people touch me. A year before I got pregnant with Jordan, Kathy made me promise that I would go with them to Easter sunrise service at the pier. I had been all out all night drinking I didn't even go home, but I kept my promise. I showed up at the pier, still drunk. I heard the message of salvation. Even though I didn't go up during their altar call, right there in my seat, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I still kept living recklessly. I left her home to go live with my boyfriend, Jordan's dad. She ended up passing away suddenly from a brain aneurysm. The thing that I love most about her is that she never condemned me. She loved me just as I was. She was such a great example of love. I believe that that is why I'm a Christian today. When I got pregnant with Jordan, there was no way that I would walk the, the road of abortion again. From that time, I, believe, I believed in Christ. God had delivered me from all my vices. Oh from the time I believed in Christ, God has delivered me from all my vices. It didn't happen overnight, and quite honestly, he just did the work in me little by little. God used that little baby to transform my life. I did not want to be like my mother had been. I quit drinking. I quit smoking marijuana. I quit going to men for love. It's crazy because I never wanted to stop drinking or doing all the harmful things that I was doing. I just stopped. 
at that time, all I did was work and take care of Jordan. I was a single mom for nine years. Those were nine of the toughest years, but they are also nine of the best years of my life. They were. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I was pregnant with Jordan, I attended Calvary. I came here. I would come here, and just like Jess, I would sit at the very back. Here I am with this pregnant person who's this guy that I thought I loved just walked away from me, and I would come, and I would just sit and listen to the word of God. That's when Pastor Brian was here, right when he was leaving that same year in 96. And I would just come, and I would leave. And sometimes I think, like, man, what if I would have stayed? You know, my life would have been so different, but I didn't stay. I would come, sit in the back, and leave after the message, still trying to earn my mother's love and affection. When Jordan was born, I went back to my mother's church. I had heard great, I had heard great Bible teaching, and I knew I didn't belong there. I decided that as much as my mother would not approve, I had to walk my own walk with God. I started attending Calvary Vista, and eventually I would come to meet my husband. So I, I started coming to church in July of the year that I met my husband, and then I met my husband in November. I was just living my life, taking care of my son, and it just seems like he, my husband, just came out of nowhere. I had been living in my apartment for five years and had never seen him. Now I know <laughs> it's because he had been in prison. <laughs> He was a heroin addict in and out of prison for 13 years. If I had known when I asked him, I asked him out. If I had known when I asked him out, I never would have asked him. God has given me a special love for this man. Because of this man, I am the woman of God that I am today. We are now married 10 years, and God has blessed me with two more children. I have suffered in my marriage, but through that suffering, I have learned that God is everything that I need. He has never left me. My love and devotion to him is worth everything that this life has thrown at me. I look back, and from the beginning, I see how God has beckoned me to be his. And I just think that, um, I just honestly just want to thank God because there were really dark times in my marriage. We had both come from just me doing all my stuff, he doing all his stuff, and then you just bring all that together, and it's a lot. But I, I always thank God for this body of believers, the women here, the pastors here. I would have walked away from my marriage if it wasn't for me continuing to come. I would come so many, I'm so emotional. <laughs> but I would come, and, I, and people would probably thought, like, what's wrong with her? But I'd just be in tears and there's so many women here that have prayed for me that have prayed for my husband and we're okay we're not perfect we don't have a lot but we're good so i just two verses that i love um jeremiah 31 13 the lord the lord hath appeared of old unto me saying yea i have loved thee with an everlasting love Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee, and God has done that for me my whole life. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And just um, for me, it's like I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of anything that I've done. I'm not ashamed of anything that's happened to me. I'm not ashamed of anything, and it's only because of the power of Christ.
and his love. Thank you. Beautiful. I know no one in this room is ever going to sit in that back row now after that because they're going to be like, ah, they think my life's a wreck. Oh, oh I'm just going to share one little thing with you because um, uh, they, they shared a lot already with kind of what the Lord had put in my heart too. And you know, those are deep accounts and deep testimonies of long, desperate periods of time and I've, I'm sure there's more of those types of, of stories sitting in this room, too. And um, even the accounts in the Bible, those women were in deep, ongoing places. And the Lord is there for us in those times. And the touch of God is powerful and able and willing. Um, but I love how Jess started kind of going through the, what about the daily desperate times? Because we do have those. And... Um, I had mine <laughs> about a month ago, and, you know, it was just a good reminder to me. I, I just had spent about a week, um, I think you even used the word wrestle, and I was like, that is the perfect description, you know, just wrestling, wrestling with other people, wrestling with situations. It was actually the first week of that we were getting ready to launch the study, but that week before, and there were all these deadlines and to-dos, and then we were studying Martha and Mary, and I was getting convicted and, and stirred up and, and strengthened and encouraged, and all those things came together one morning. I'd had a very restless night of sleep and um, got up, and, you know, I have my routine in the morning. I, you know, iron my husband's shirt and breakfast and make my coffee, and, um, and he goes off, and it's, it's really quiet, and, you know, I was just like, Lord, I'm so desperate for you this morning. I'm so desperate. And this past week, when I was studying the woman with the issue of blood, he reminded me of this morning um, because I was so struck by her that she had heard and she came. And that's not always my first response, you know, because I hear about him, but then I try to fix it all in my own strength or I try to wrestle through it in my own way um, and I don't come right away. But that morning I had, I hadn't, read a devote. I hadn't done anything, and I just, and I don't say this to be prideful, but it was a desperate, like, I just need you. And the word that I love in that account of that woman is immediately. When she reached out her hand and touched the hem, immediately her flow stopped, and immediately Jesus knew it. And so I had just prayed that prayer, and I don't always read streams in the desert, but I did that morning, and immediately, he was all I needed. And so I just wanted to read the account of, of, of what he spoke to my heart. It was because it was good and I needed it. But I want to encourage you, don't think the touch of Jesus is just for the giant, great, big account of life. or the you know it, And it is, but he is for every daily moment and um, every desperate need and... All of our needs are desperate needs. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We need him for everything. So um, you can just maybe close your eyes and, and just listen. And um, it's going to be challenging because I have to hold the microphone and read at the same time. But I, I loved how personal God was, how quickly he responded, and how perfect it was for my cry that morning. So 
Um, the verse was from Song of Songs 8.5. Who is this coming up from the desert leaning on her lover? And I'm thinking, I read that and I'm like, oh, hey, there might not be much in this for me right now this morning. <laughs> but this is what followed. I once learned a great lesson at a prayer meeting at a southern church. As one man, one man prayed, he asked the Lord for various blessings, just as you or I would, and he thanked the Lord for many blessings already received, just as you or I would. But he closed his prayer with this unusual petition, and, O oh Lord, support us. Yes, support us on every leaning side. Do you have any leaning sides? This humble man's prayer pictured them in a new way and illustrated the great supporter in a new light as well. He saw God as always walking alongside the Christian, ready to extend his mighty arm, his touch, to steady the weak on every leaning side. And then this is just a a poem or a prayer that was written at the end of it. Child of my love, and this is God speaking, lean hard and let me feel the pressure of your care. I know your burden, child. I shaped it, balanced it in my own hand, made no proportion in its weight to your unaided strength. For even as I laid it on, I said, I will be near while she leans on me. This burden will be mine, mine, not hers. So will I keep my child within the circling arms of mine own love. Here, lay it down nor fear to impose it on a shoulder that upholds the government of worlds. Yet come closer. You are not near enough. I would embrace your care so I might feel my child reclining on my breast. You love me, I know. So then do not doubt, but loving me, lean hard. And it was just the perfect word for that day to have my leaning wrestling side, leaning on him. And I think that's, that's, that's what it is when we have those desperate cries and we have that outstretched arm or we have that persistent prayer. Acting our faith, going to him, knowing who he is, knowing what he can do. Um, and you know what? It might be every morning, but the beauty of his word is that his mercies are new every day. And the, the thing that was neat about that week, too, was I hadn't finished through the study, and then the following week was the verse from Luke 1, as blessed is the woman who believes the promise that the Lord had spoken, had spoken to her. And it was like, Lord, you spoke to me that day that you are the one to carry. You are, the burden is light with you. I just need a lean. That's my part. And so I just loved it all, and... Um, just wanted to share that with you because I think we can say, oh, God's got so many other bigger things to do. You know, he's got these big seasons of life and these big things to take care of. And, and my, my daily desperate cry is just my daily desperate cry. Let me figure out how to bear it. And that's not his heart at all. He sees us all. He knows us all. He hears our prayer and he's able. Amen. Okay. So we're just going to close in prayer and get you ladies off to a group. But As I pray, and I just want everyone to close your eyes, if you have a leaning side this morning, you have a desperate cry, you want to stand, you want to just raise your hand, outstretch your hand, reach for the hem of the garment um, in faith, or you just want to not do either of those things, but in the stillness of your heart, um, cry out to the Lord. Let's just end with that this morning. 
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the work of your broken body and shed blood. That is enough and sufficient and, and, and final. It is finished. All that you did through your work on the cross to look down through the ages at this room of women and see our need, our hearts cry, our leaning sides, our shame, our guilt, our sin, our doubts, our fears, our bitterness, our opinions, our judgments, whatever we're carrying. Lord, we stretch out our hand today and say, if we can just touch you, it will be well. And Lord, we stretch in faith, or we persist in prayer in faith, or we hear the truth and love of your forgiveness and receive in faith what you have, the care that you'll carry, the, the, the yoke that you carry, that you burden. It's, it, you make it light for us. You redeem, you restore, you renew. And Lord, as we go from here today, Lord, and we heard Jess's story and we heard Josefina's story, Lord, I pray we'd be reminded by you that we have a story too. And our story of your great rescue of our life is not just meant for us, it's meant for others. So fill us with your spirit and give us a great boldness, Lord. And Lord, when we're too far away, Lord, that was your word for me that day. Yeah, you're, you're just, you're off to the side, Yvonne. You need to come closer and lean on me. Lord, when we're too far away, oh, good shepherd, get, follow us, pursue us, and bring us back to lean on you and press into you, your power, your strength, your spirit. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your abilities. And Lord, I just pray for these women. You know them. You see them. You hear them. The things that are known by others, the things that are not known by anyone at all, except them and you. And I thank you that you are enough, more than enough for them. We give you the rest of this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.